Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joined today, he's an international taekwondo athlete, professional trainer, and the founder of Champions for Life. It's David Arsenal. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing very well. Happy to be here, Alex. And, uh, you know, a great, we had a great conversation before starting and I'm, we're all warmed up. Yes, we did. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your Rise to the Challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? So I'm from Montreal, Canada, and I was involved with my family, uh, two older brothers, very active, very active family. Actually, my grandmother um, made uh, my, my third parent, she's actually uh, kind of my, my, she, my grandfather passed away. So my grandmother was a constant at our house. She lived with us for 35 years. So I was a real grandma's boy, if you will, and a real um, uh, pest to my brothers because they were five and seven years older than me. And I'd always be like, let me play with you. Let me, uh, you know, I want to. And they'd be like, buzz off. You're too young. You're so <laughs> I always had this, uh, you know, so I'd always have this, um, you know, desire to be like them because they were such great guys. We had an active family, kind of middle class uh growing up in french english you know i I, i'm french but uh went to english school my whole life and uh speak french to my family but you know so had this um this great experience as a child you know surrounded by family and um can say that you know that's where it started for me and the place where i'm at now my I live in the same area and uh, I have two kids they're 18 and 17 a boy and a girl uh, happily married been with uh, um, my partner for the past 30 years and going strong Um, so I'm in a place where you know I just want my kids to thrive kind of the way that I did with different challenges of course and uh, super excited to be here. Growing up with two older brothers, was there ever an activity or something that kind of bonded you together? You mentioned that they kind of said, oh, you're too young and stuff. But did you guys ever find something that you all could do together? Yeah, absolutely. I I would say on a sport level, because they were so much older and um, more um, advanced than me, but it was always traveling, doing family activities, going to see aunts and uncles. We had... uh, in Quebec City, which is about two and a half hours away, uh, we'd always go see cousins. Uh, we'd always watch sports like the Montreal Canadiens play hockey or the uh, Montreal Expos play baseball. And we'd rally behind our teams. Um, we'd always go see each other's games. They wouldn't come see mine, of course. but <laughs> I'd be stuck in the arenas watching them play hockey or at the baseball fields. Um we go out and do activities as family, like cross-country ski or downhill ski or go out for picnics in the park, uh, go see, um, you know, the big botanical garden or something like that. So uh, I, I have to give kudos to my parents who always um, made us go out and do things. And we were latchkey kids. So it was like, get out of the house, come back when it's dark. We'll, my grandmother would ring the bell, not, not literally, but, you know, we'd smell oh, time to go eat, you know, go and ravage the, the dinner table. And so good meals, 
good, good times together, uh, just being together as a family. And uh, I think that was, you know, the fact that we always had people there for us uh, and that we could share these experiences together was really the gel uh, for me growing up. You mentioned that your grandmother lived with you during this time. What's the biggest thing she taught you? She was a constant. So, you know, I, I, both my parents were working uh, people. So my mom was a nurse, a 40 year career nurse um, in various departments, but last three years was ophthalmology and she'd leave at 540 like quarter to six to and get home at 630 at night and you know come home and help out and be very uh, active my dad was human resources kind of management and my grandmother was just the constant the gentle hand the consistent uh, person who would always listen always be attentive always be there to be giving and she was a person who devoted her life to the family, you know, and she, to keep herself busy, she cooked, she cleaned, she took care of us, she made sure we sat down and did homework, she made sure that we, um, you know, were good to each other when we were <laughs> fighting, you know, like, and because she was much older than my parents, we never wanted to rock the boat with her, you know, so Especially me, I, I felt like I was a, a bit of a troublemaker with my brothers. Uh, but when I see my grandmother, I'd always kind of, she always made me really calm. Um, our birthdays were one day apart. Oh, and, wow. You know, so, and we were 60 years apart. So when she turned, when I turned 10, she turned 70. You know, when I turned so it was, we were following kind of the same uh, trajectory. So it was real special thing. And, you know, now that you're asking me, I I really had a very, very strong bond with my grandmother and I'm a really softy inside. And I think it's because, um, because of her, you know, uh, yeah. Why do you feel you're a troublemaker? Oh, just because I wanted to do lots of things. I I always wanted to be part of the action and not necessarily lead, but I, I wanted to, you know, mix in. And maybe there weren't a lot of kids my own age in the neighborhood, or I didn't have a lot of opportunity. And I always looked at my brothers. I always looked up to my brothers and said, I want to do that. I want to, you know, so it always seemed, um, you know, you speak about rising to the challenge. Uh, it was a challenge just to, to try to keep up with them in a sense. And um and so I do whatever I can. I remember my brothers would go play down the street, uh, street hockey with our ball hockey and they'd be in the street and I'd come by with my little stick and their friends would be there and they'd all playing and having fun. And I said, I want to play. And, you know, they go, no, get lost. Uh, you know, you're oh. too young, you know, you're too young. So I, and then I, I basically whack my brothers with a stick and they'd, they'd like take me, throw me on the grass and get out of here. We told you to get lost. So I'd like, you know, go home and then I'd go back every day. And um, eventually I'd turn around and whack their friends, you know, <laughs> like, let me, so because it, my strategy wasn't working. So I figured I'd fight with their friends. 
<laughs> and uh, you know, I, I'm making it sound much worse than it is, but it, <laughs> I, I was very, very persistent, you know, and uh, and so I think that um, yeah, for me, it was. I've always had kind of this little fighting side in me. Well, now it makes sense how you got into Taekwondo is this kind of little <laughs> anger that you're the fighting kind of style that you had, except I don't think in Taekwondo you use weapons at all. No, no weapons, no <laughs> hockey in Taekwondo. <laughs> So growing up, did you have a passion for anything? Something that came to you and you're like, I want to do this as long as I can. Yeah, uh, I think from a really young age, 1976 was the year of the Montreal Olympics. Mm -hmm. So I was five years old. And I really, I, I, I distinctly remember the Olympic flame coming by our community center, which was no more than a kilometer away from my house. And between that, my house and that community center, there was an Olympic track. So it was made with gravel, you know, the old style gravel. And there was a pool and there was a, you know, so I'd walk down my street. I'd walk to the school park. I'd have to walk across two long jump pits, mm-hmm. you know, and you, everybody might be thinking of your rubber tracks and like very fancy. No, this was old stuff. You know, this was from, from a long time ago. And, um, and I would, you know, say this area is very special to me because I remember this whole commotion about the Olympics and what it represented. And um, it was, so for some reason I was picturing myself being in the Olympics and I wanted to get there somehow. You know, I wanted to be part of that party. It was, it was like that elusive party or that those elusive games that I couldn't do with my brothers or I couldn't do with, with anybody else. So I would always had this kind of dream of participating in something like that. I, I walked to the, uh, to the park, you know, and, or that field, I'd run around the track once and kind of bend over being exhausted and say, I did it, you know, like I <laughs> pretend. <laughs> And uh, we didn't have all the phones and technologies and distractions. Yeah. And we weren't a family with uh, Atari or, or video games or anything like that. So um, I, I, I had a like a, a good imagination. And uh, I really connected with being active and rolling around and playing in the sand. And, you know, it's very kinesthetic in that way. So... Um, yeah, one of my longest memories, and I think one that endured was kind of that feeling of wanting to participate in something bigger and uh, and and get carried along with the, that dream. I think a lot of people can relate to that where they find something. I mean, knowing my generation, we watch something and we're like, oh, we want to do that. We want to go into that direction. And I remember a TV show that was on called American Gladiators. And it was just a fun competition show where David versus Goliath and you just never know what to expect. And I'm always like, oh, I'm going to be on that show. Well, by the time I was born, it was one year left and then they went off the air and then they didn't come back until 2008. And I was grateful to be able to interview a couple people from that, those shows. And I'm like, I got to be able to do this. And I ended up creating an event in college where I got to per- be a persona of a gladiator. And I'm like, 
I kind of living the dream in a way, but I can relate where you had, you saw the Olympics and that kind of atmosphere and you knew you wanted to be active or be in a kind of a physical kind of sport mentality in a way. And I think even people nowadays, they watch their favorite athletes and they're like, I want to be just like that person. And I think it's a great motivational tool because they have dreams and we all are in that kind of path of, we want to live out those dreams. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, uh, yeah, it's fun to see people with those dreams, realizing them and say, this is, a, you know, th- there's so much potential, you know, there's, I could dream of that. And, but I, these days I can't imagine everybody, all the kids looking at YouTube and seeing all these crazy, because at the time we couldn't see people pulling off these yeah. amazing things, you know? So I do feel that there is the bar has been raised so much these days. The pressure is so high to perform and I'm not sure, you know, I, I, I haven't studied this or I haven't uh, given this too much thought. It, it's mainly through this conversation that I'm thinking, wow, if I was a skateboarder, I could get inspired by trying lots of tricks, but then I could also get pretty discouraged by thinking, there's no way I can ever do that, you know? So, uh, or if you complete that stunt, someone else is doing something even better than that. And you're like, oh, yeah. I got to increase my skill set on yeah. to that stunt right there. It's just yeah. like you said, it, everyone's raising the bar where the expectations are met, but then someone does even better. And now it's like, okay, now I got to go even above that one. Yeah. Which is why I, I think your podcast is very important because you're talking about rising to the challenge and everybody's challenge is very different. Yep. And, um, and it's noble to rise to the challenge and whether you're a two year old uh, or let's say 14 month old or 12 month old walking for this first time, you know, you don't realize, but <laughs> you are, you know, <laughs> or whether you're a, uh, 12-year-old doing a speech in front of your school or you're a CEO uh, coming into a new position and you have to perform, you know, everyone has their own level of challenge and there's challenges along the way that allow you to train yourself to be rising to different levels of challenges at different times in your life. And uh, it could be family, it could be work, it could be personal, it could be, you know, so there's something in it for everybody. And um, there's a, there's what you call a zone of proximal development. So if a challenge is too hard, it's discouraging. Yep. And if the challenge is too easy, it's boring and it doesn't seem uh, valiant or worth trying or striving for. So generally, you know, all these challenges are, are very personal. So I think what we need to do is celebrate the fact that somebody is trying and is being challenged in some way. And I think that by celebrating, I, I, I mean, we need to support people through their challenges. And I think that's been um, downplayed or, or it's been, so everyone has a personal challenge, but the shame is that everyone puts a challenge that, Oh, I have to be this, you know, we have to be the best in the world or we have to be. So 
it's when the challenge is outside of ourselves that we're striving for something that it becomes almost impossible to attain or it's beyond your own meaning. You know, I, I think the, the true challenges are ones that you take on and that you feel that, yes, this is for me, this represents something uh, very important, very meaningful, attainable, not easy attainable or just maybe out of reach and give me all the, I'll do all the work and put everything on my side to, to go and achieve that. And I think that it's important for people outside of that to recognize that and to support people rising to their own challenge. And uh, as opposed to saying, oh no, they didn't make it, they didn't do it, they didn't, you know, and, and either shaming them or or uh, selling them short on their efforts. And uh, it's very easy to, to criticize and very easy to oh, yeah. shoot each other down. So, uh, so, you know, which is why your podcast is inspiring. You know, I've heard a few of your, your interviews and uh, your guests are, uh, you know, definitely challenge risers. Well, and I feel that a lot of people, when they open up about their challenges, there's someone that's listening out there that can relate. And maybe what that guest is saying kind of can motivate them or inspire them to maybe reach out to that person and kind of learn more and just connect and network. And I think I've done the same thing with my challenges where I found people that are going through that exact challenge. And I've grown so much through that because we're in that situation where we can relate each other, even though we were at different ages or different stages in our life when that challenge happened, but you learn so much. Did you have a personal challenge that you were setting out for growing up as you got older? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, challenges are either some that you create yourself for yourself or they're imposed on you so from the age of five um i remember cycling or, or on my bicycle with my brother kind of going up and down driveways and as i was coming down looking at my brother i got struck by a car Ooh. and i actually rolled under the car and the the wheel crushed my leg and um I kind of woke up out of it and my leg was shattered. I tried to stand up. It bent sideways. It was like a huge mess Then I ended up in the hospital for about two weeks. And, um, you know, life was swimming, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it was great. And then I had this huge cast and I had to wear it for uh, something like three or four months because the bone had to set. And so I remember feeling like caged up. I, I wanted to do these things and yeah, it was kind of cool. I was getting some attention and uh, you know, why is everybody hovering around me? But I, I was, you know, so my challenge was kind of to be normal again and, uh, and to get out there and to be able to play with everybody else. Cause although it was cool in the beginning, it was like, no, this, this really sucks. So, um, and I, I'd say that, you know, from, so that's the first real challenge that I felt that I had in my life. Later on, um, it was sports. So I fell in love with Taekwondo 
really at the age of 16, you know, I had this dream of going to the Olympics and Mm -hmm. I would pretend I was a track athlete and I'd pretend I was, you know, basketball player or baseball player or hockey player. And then I found kind of went into high school. I found gymnastics and uh, some people showed me how to do a handspring and uh, a flip. And, you know, all of a sudden the the teacher was keen to show me all kinds of different things. And I said, Oh, this is it. I'm going to go to the Olympics in, in gymnastics. And I went to a gymnastics place where, you know, Canadian champions were training. I went to see a real coach and he patted me on the back and I tried all kinds of things. And he said, sorry, kid, it's too late. So I was crushed. And then I found Taekwondo uh, kind of at the end of tail end of the age of 13, 14. And I was like, okay, this is good. And it was at the age of 16 that I went to go see a national championship and I saw somebody uh, who's actually a best friend of mine who was, he was, he's five foot two, fin weight, the lightest weight category. He fought a guy that was a good foot taller than him. Uh, amazing competition. He qualified for the Canadian team uh, in 1988. And I didn't know him at the time, but I looked at him and said, wow, that's incredible. I saw his family cheer and celebrate. And I, I said, well, this is it. I found my passion, you know? So of course, when you find your passion, then you start working towards it. You start realizing how hard that is. So first I had to get my black belt. Then I started competing provincially. Then, you know, I saw the competitors that I was competing against national champions, world champions, you know, Pan Am champions, MVPs and and saying, wow, I'm the, I'm the lowest, uh, you know, man on the totem pole here and uh really a young kid and then working year by year but i had that that drive of saying okay olympics olympics you know and i I, just by sheer will and and passion every year trying to go and it's a one-shot deal you you fight in this single elimination tournament and you got to win 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 and win the final and then you you have your spot. So um, sometimes I win, lose, lose, win, 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 uh, make the podium, but not first. It took me ten years to win my national championships, and um, and so that was for me the, at the time the biggest challenge that I had. And um, I would like like you hear you would live, sleep, breathe eat i'd wake up five in the morning go running come home stretch do a bit of homework go to school find a place to train at school uh, do weights or stretch or you know do some extra stuff then i'd go from school to the the gym you know i lived i had to bus an hour and a half from where i lived in a rural uh, part of the city to downtown train you know from 6 30 to 9 9 30 at night take the bus another an hour hour and a half home study on the bus you know and um i if i had said laid out everything that i had to do to to reach this goal and say it's going to be 10 years of you know going through university having jobs you know and you don't get paid as an amateur athlete especially not in canada uh, at one point you get carded and the government will give you uh, probably a $250 subsidy a month for groceries or whatever. So you have to juggle all these other things. 
just to strive for that one uh, objective. And then coming into my final year of competition, I said, okay, I haven't won, but this is it. I'm getting married this year. I'm setting the foundations for my life with my partner who I'd already been with for 11 years. And I said, okay, we're getting married. We want to establish a family. She's set in her career. I'm not quite set in mine. I was studying exercise science to work in the sport and athletic field and maybe training and health. And, and then um, it happened. You know, I, I had a amazing teammate and coach that, you know, said, okay, I'm retiring. So I'm going to devote my energy to a small group of, of athletes. And I was among those four that were training and it just, the timing was great. I won. It was an Olympic year. Uh, we didn't pre-qualify for the Olympics. So I, that wasn't my, you know, it wasn't my cards, but I went to the Pan American Taekwondo Championships I went, uh, in Aruba, uh, the World Cup in Vietnam. I was in the U.S. Open at, um, in Las Vegas. Um, sorry about that. I know you're, you're vying to get to Las Vegas. <laughs> And if your boss is listening, we'll make sure that you get there soon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and I had good showings at those competitions. And it it really gave me the sense that, wow, I'm at the level of these guys, these international fighters. I'd done U.S. Opens before and other international invitationals and things like that. But I really felt like I was, I I deserved my place there. I was 29 years old. Um, I was retiring at the height of my career. And then, um, so such is, you know, from one challenge, when you hit the peak of your success, I guess, or when you hit the top of that challenge, well, a few things can happen. You know, you can, you can sit back and say, okay, great. I did it. But you're always looking for the next challenge. All these muscles that you built of discipline and perseverance and, you know, these don't just stop working. Your mind doesn't just stop working. So I, I went for um, a hike in the Arctic with a, a world-famous climber, somebody from my province, uh, Bernard Voyer, who climbed Everest in the seven peaks on the seven continents. And he also cross-country skied to the North Pole from Russia and cross-country skied from the coast to the South Pole in Antarctica. So he was one of the first five people to do that um and he he uh he was a great storyteller and he said it's from one summit that you see many others yeah and it's such a it's such a nice thing because you know you're climbing this one mountain you're you're looking up to the top and you're always you know focusing and sometimes you know you turn around and you you see the beautiful but when you're at the peak you really see all the other peaks you're like oh, I can go climb that one or that one or that one. And you really feel like, you know, you worked hard, you're at the top, and now you can choose where you want to go. And, or you can climb up and be totally exhausted, not have any gas and not have the time to look up. You know, I used to run and look at the ground and look at my time and look at the, you know, now, now I get to do some exercise and, keep my chin up and look around and see what's, you know, I, I've kind of earned that luxury, you know, to, 
to be uh, having my head up a little bit more and explore the different challenges that uh, can can keep moving me forward. With, so, sp- with sports like Taekwondo and any kind of physical contact sports, a lot of times athletes put a lot of wear and tear on their body. They kind of do certain kind of plans that kind of aren't the healthiest. Did your body, was it able to handle the the workouts, the meals, things like that, so that when you got into that competition, you knew that you were focused, ready, prepared? Yeah, I think that there's a lot there because there's your body, there's your mind, and there's your spirit. You know, and it's not just because it's a martial art. It's the same thing in any discipline. So whether you're in the orchestra or in a band or in a, you know, um, you are a mathematician, you know, (laughs) you're some form of athlete or performer, your body needs to be in it. So your mind needs to be in it and your spirit needs to be in it. So in martial arts, there's this great emphasis because of the Asian culture of this mind, body, spirit, and being part of a community that, you know, is, uh, is focused on that kind of, uh, Kaizen and personal improvement and, uh, being part of a, a culture that fits in a, a certain kind of discipline, let's say, or mold, uh, where Buddhism is about personal enlightenment you know everybody has the ability to be like buddha let's say um and uh, away from all the dogmatism and stuff like that so yes i I, throughout my career it was somewhat of a a chase i you've got to be a little bit off your rocker to commit yourself so much to things like this and there is not always a, a balance, you know, so you train so much. And when you're a Formula One car, okay, um, or you're riding a Formula One car, you see these, uh, or NASCARs or whatever, you want performance. You yep. ride these things to the edge, to the edge of what you can get. You'll, you won't fuel up so you can be lighter, so you can go faster, but you might run out of gas in the, <laughs> in the last half mile. And it's a, it's a risk that you play. You put on certain tires, you put on, you know, and these cars have the most wear and tear, you know. So from a performance perspective, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, all those three are running on the knife's edge, on the razor's edge. So, um, and at the same time, you know, when you're young, you don't care, you don't feel the injuries, you don't, you know, so like I said, these muscles that you're building, these habits, um, you, you really need to make sure you surround yourself with the right people that can coach you through and have the wisdom and uh, wherewithal and, and know how to be able to guide you properly. So uh, on any, and this could be for a CEO or a person in, a, in an organization or in a band, or you always have a whole team around you that helps you in everything that you do. And that, that, you know, the cog of the wheel is the athlete, let's say. And then you have a quarterback that's kind of overseeing what's happening. Then the different spokes are the coach, the nutritionist, 
And that nutritionist might be your mom when you're living at home. <laughs> it might be your partner that uh, you're living with, you know, your wife or your husband or whatever. And then it might be, so the sports psychologist and the sports psychologist might, might be a friend, you know, your group of friends, your family, your uh, teammates, your, you know, so all of these things help you and, uh, and carry you forward. So, um, so I think that that helps keep that balance for you and being kind of an amateur athlete with low budget, you try to build, there's no quarterback for you. So you're trying to figure out what all those little things are. And uh, that actually, you know, and that the idea of thinking, how can I be the best that I can be in, in going through all that um, and trying to line up all those things? Well, it becomes a great organizational type of uh, exercise. And you're, you're thinking, you know, because you're being pulled or pushed towards this goal, um, you're lining all your ducks to, to try to get there. But certainly when you're doing it alone, you, often you're, you're veering off in, in all kinds of directions and then, you know, you find your path. And so I would say it's a slower, uh, slower grind. But in terms of the health part, um, for me, I think that, you know, there is a really defining moment when I was a, a child and uh, not something that I speak about often, but I, I don't have a problem speaking about it because um, I've dealt with it a lot. When I was 11 years old, um, I was raped. I was in a grade six uh, kind of graduation because we, we go to high school after grade six. There's no middle school in my province. And um, we were on a, a grade six grad trip and it was an overnight two night. Uh, and there was an incident that happened with somebody that I did not know. It was kind of a one-time thing. And I was so ashamed, uh, could not tell anybody, very hurt uh, emotionally and spiritually and all that and physically as well. And um, came home ashamed, not able to tell anybody. Then boom, I go to high school, different crowd, different environment. I found myself very alone, you know, even though I was surrounded. And at the beginning of the question, you said, well, how did you grow up? Well, I grew up with a lot of love. So that love was still there for me, but I was a different person. Mm -hmm. And that person, um, I retreated very much inside. And, and thank goodness that I had love around me because if I didn't have love and confidence and, and support, that um, what was boiling inside of me could have easily turned into anger directed outwardly to other people or continually inwardly to self-destruction. And it did, to a certain degree, turn in because when you're 11 years old, you know, whose fault is well, something happens to you. Well, it's, it's your fault, you know? So mm -hmm. I grew up all through high school with people that I was close to, but not close to, you know, uh, they, and not many people knew what happened to me. So I had this fire, you know, I already had a fire in me, but I have an even deeper fire starting to, to burn. And, uh, and that fire was uh, was kind of burning me inside and tearing me up. And the way that 
you know, I, I discovered Taekwondo. Well, I, I discovered all kinds of new sports in high school, lots of individual sports. I wrestled for two years. Um, I did judo. I did track and field. I did. So I started using all these sports as an outlet for mm-hmm. my, my, my internal rage, if you will. And, uh, and also to numb the pain, the, the emotional and psychological anguish that I had. And, um, and it was my drug, you know, to, to do sports and to, to forget. And um, so then fast forward, I'm doing all these sports. I'm getting some good success. I get my black belt. I'm having success as a black belt. My first girlfriend was at the age of 19. I got my black belt at 18. My first girlfriend was at 19. Who's my wife today? You know, so I'm the type of person that, you know, when I, when I see something I want, I go after it, you know, and, and my wife was very much that it was, well, you know, there she is. I'm not letting go. You know, there's my goal. I'm not letting go. And, um, she was actually the first person that I told, um, what happened to me. And, um, I think it was from there that things kind of resurfaced. And I started dealing with it in a, in a different way. So that there's a certain, um, there's a term in psychology called sublimation. So you take a negative thing, you turn it into something positive. Yeah. So I think for a long time, I was taking this and turning it into a, a positive, you know. And so that to me, through my athletic career, that helped me through uh, a lot but it also helped me back a lot and it also you know there was I didn't self-mutilate but through lots of training excessive training through overtraining, often I would be hurt and I'd be like when I was in a cast you know on my back and everybody you know I, I almost felt like I needed an excuse physically for people to attend to me you know mm-hmm. So I would beat myself up pretty much, not, not, not like this, but outwardly. And, and, um, and so it wasn't until I started facing these things that I realized, you know what, I'm putting myself down here. I'm not giving myself my best shot. So um, as I was prepping in my final years of Taekwondo, I kind of let go of a lot of things that happened to me. I started I actually saw a psychologist. I started uh, working on myself because the things that I was doing were not bringing the results that I wanted. I was actually putting more pressure on myself. I was actually, you know, so I thought, well, the solution to this is just work harder, put in more. And that was not paying off dividends. I actually was uh, diminishing returns. So I was this great athlete amazing shape but i would get there and it just was too much pressure and uh, psychologically too much emotionally too much i'd put too much pressure on my body even you know i'd go into a competition hurt and sore and you know and if i think about you know how i finished my career it was kind of the complete opposite it was like i was in great shape but i was ready primed i was uh you know i had a fantastic coach um ken trend that 
we did exactly what we needed to do. You know, we were in complete sync. You know, that year of my life was one of the best years of my life because uh, the, the competition or the competitions, the training, the camaraderie around the training, prepping, prepping for a wedding, having a wedding, going to these international meets was a, a real highlight, you know, and it was kind of at that tail end of dealing with, with all uh, the, I guess the fallout of one incident, imagine one mm-hmm. incident and um, being kind of uh, being my grandma's boy. Right. And looking at my grandmother and being very empathetic, you know, towards her, I had this really soft spot, you know, I was rambunctious and everything, but never, uh, you know, I'd fight, but I would always try to be a good sportsman and not try to hurt anybody and all that stuff. So um, it was uh, by the end of my career, I would say that, you know, it was finally being able to start taking care of myself, you know, and it was, uh, yeah, it was one of the biggest challenges in my life at the time, just to get over this, this uh, pain and uh, big realizations. And I think that was kind of the start of my healing at that, the end of, uh, of that phase in my life. You talked about, and we appreciate you being open and sharing. You talked about how one event kind of taken, took you in a different path, not in a different path, but took you into a path and a direction. And I always, I've had incidents happen and I think I always try to hide it in a way. And sometimes I would reveal it to like my mom and she would just be in shock that it happened. And she had no idea. I grew up with divorced parents and my dad was an alcoholic. And some of the stuff that I experienced through high school, a high school kid should not have to go through at all. And I'm revealing it. And I didn't tell people for like many years what happened because I was thinking, are my family going to be mad at me because I'm talking bad about something or are they not going to believe me because they weren't physically there seeing it happen? And I always kind of found something to hide it. If it was a TV show to watch, if it was a sport to play, if it was an activity. Um, And I think that you mentioned greatly that that support system that you had and how they kept the love and that you got and your partner, your wife, and how if you maybe didn't have that, it probably would be a lot harder. And I think that for me, if I didn't have that support system, especially my friends, cause I don't have any brothers or sisters. So only child. So my friends are like my siblings basically. And they've kept me on such a positive track and sometimes they last and sometimes they don't, but the real friends are my, our family and they stick it out. Um, and then I was able to be open with them because I try not to say things if I don't think it's going to last, because yeah. when I try to open up, I don't want them to take the information, take it somewhere else. And then it's like, oh, now what, what are they going to do with it? So I think your story, I can definitely relate, um, not in the same situation, but something that was that severe in a way that Mm. you still remember it. I mean, it's still in our brain, but 
we do stuff to make us happy. And I can definitely tell just in the short time we've known each other, you have so much positivity and so much excitement that you're out for that it just shows that it's all about that mental focus that you have. Yeah, and I I think that there's a certain amount of fearlessness that you need to have in, in faith that the people that are closest to you will get your back. Yep. That exercise where you fall back and you know that person's going to catch you. Um, and then, you know, if you never try to let yourself fall back and you never have that feeling of that person catching you, you'll never have that security, you know? And to know that it's like a squirrel or a cat, you throw them in the air, they give you like this, they'll always land on their feet. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, we can't say that about ourselves if we don't try, if we don't put ourselves out there. So for me, a, a big, um, I'll tell you another story. So in, in when my, my brother, Mark, uh, the one who's five years older than me, mm-hmm. and my brother Steve, who's uh, seven years older than me in 2006, he died of cancer. Mm-hmm. So he was uh, 38 years old at the time. And he had three children. They were six, nine, and three years old. Beautiful, beautiful person, um, great family, great kids, great father, uh, full-time job, happy marriage. Everything's going great for him. And he gets this synovial sarcoma, soft tissue cancer in the leg. It's, you know, he was healthy, athletic, and uh, just uh, for whatever reason, uh, gets this bad luck. And he had it at the age of 35 battled through it, the whole treatments and and operations and all that stuff. And um, my kids were two and three at the time. So I, you know, one night uh, it was like getting really close to the end. He almost passed away and uh, cancer was on his lungs, but he came out of it and we were lying together in in his bed we were at a palliative care i think that you call it hospice in uh in mm-hmm. the state so it was a beautiful place beautiful community supporting people doctors and nurses and volunteers we felt very welcome and we had that time and that space and his wife was there and we'd been there for five weeks you know seeing him through this part of his journey and him seeing us through that as well because he was very strong during that time And then he looked at me and he said, uh, Dave, how am I doing? And he meant like, how am I managing this whole death thing? (laughs) You know, he didn't say that, but that's what he meant. And because he had short breath and how am I doing? And I said, wow, you're doing amazing. Everyone loves you. You're just sending love to everybody, you know, and you're in this condition and you're accepting your, your fate at this point. And uh, you battled hard and I'm, can't be more proud of you and don't worry you know you're doing great and then he goes that's that's uh thank you very much he goes um you know you don't have to be dad to my kids but try to be there when they need it you know and we live close by so there's key moments where i think that we can be there for each other which is great and then he said one thing about the family david and um it's transparency. So 
My dad was hardworking, executive position, very, very macho, kind of the mad men generation. Mm-hmm. You know, come home, kick the shoes off, smoke at the dinner table. You know, how was your day? And it's just all like, oh, I did this. I did that. I did this. You know, like all about achievement, accomplishments. Yeah, my boys are this. My boys are that. You know, my mom, working, working mom, you know, everybody had their place. And but there was not a real sense of authenticity, let's say, or let you be who you can be. And me growing up with my secret and everybody growing up in their box, let's say, and having to do what they had to do because that was the role that they played and they had to fit in that in that role. I don't think that life is quite like this these days. We're, we're getting out of our boxes and we're much more inclusive and accepting and mm-hmm. we're much more diverse, which is a beautiful thing to, to uh, aspire to and, and to be. Uh, but at the time it was that. So, and the people of that generation who are the baby boomers uh, and, and before had to live up to this um, perception, you know, and rightly so, they lived through the, you know, either the Great Depression or the World Wars, or they were babies of the World Wars, and you had to work hard, you know, so yep. you had to, you know, there was, you had to go to the factories, or you had to, you know, you, you, we'd all learn like robots, you know, and then we'd get in the assembly lines of society, and then you'd, you'd work your way up the ladder kind of thing. And, um, and so when he said that, I was like, okay transparency for the family i didn't know what that meant you know and it took me a long long time to figure that out and um i did the eulogy at his um, funeral service and one of the toughest but most um uh, powerful things i've ever done to speak in there were a ton of people there because he was really loved and admired the church was full and um i said transparency and it kind of, it came to me there. And I said, well, if we said everything that we had to say and we laid it all out on the line and we trusted that like a cat or a squirrel or whatever, or that we had somebody behind us, you know, to catch us, or we'd find a way we'd fall and we'd get it back up or, you know, what's there to be afraid of. Mm. So in terms of, so it kind of started resonating with me. So that was after my big moment. That was after my big year that I said, life can't get better than this. You know, I'll have a family and it'll just keep getting better and better. And then my, my brother um, got sick and then life got kind of complicated at that time. So I was now building a career. So at the end of my taekwondo career an agent approached me uh, a a hockey player agent approached me to train hockey players so all of a sudden i became an athlete training athletes and i created the studio called pain station and uh it was about the you know kind of leaning into the points like facing your challenges you know your challenges build your character your body or you know so it was kind of off of a buddhist saying which says lean into the sharp points Mm -hmm. Um, which means that you know if you run away from them and you turn around they're still there 
But if you turn and face them and you feel what they have to teach you, then you can, you know, uh, overcome or learn what it has to teach you and live in uh, harmony with them, you know, and you actually become stronger as a result. And, um, and so as I was building this business, my brother gets sick. I'm helping all these high performing athletes and I'm still on high, high adrenaline. So, you know, still going 100 miles an hour with it now, not just with myself, but with 50 athletes and three trainers. And, you know, I was this individual with blinders on athlete person grew up, you know, in my teens with blinders on and being very determined, head down, working hard, you know, very sublimating all this energy and all this determination and drive that I had to this culminating to what am I really doing in my life? You know, so I, I had to take everything that I learned and transfer that to all the athletes, you know, and, and that became my new mission, you know, and one of the athletes won the Stanley cup. Vincent Le Cavalier brought the cup to pain station. You know? That looked great that, that we, you know, we had kids there, we had all our trainers and all our athletes and we're celebrating and, but it, it, it felt a little empty. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like, okay, so now we're at the top of that mountain, but it's not my mountain, it's somebody else's mountain, you know? So it, it meant a lot, but at the same time, it was not my victory, you know? And then other athletes having successes and signing contracts, NHL contracts and, you know, but life happens. You have kids, you come home, you're tired. There's, you know, challenges around work and there's this and that. And um, I came to a point where I had burnt out all that physical, mental um, and emotional kind of pressure that I had built up, I think around that time, 2007, eight, you know, uh, it all came kind of to a head. So I was doing the work, but I was getting those diminishing returns again. You know, I was, I was like through determination and drive and hard work. And that's when transparency really came to a head for me, where I learned that it's better to say how you feel, be authentic like, and real and say, I need help here. I can't do this alone. Together, we are stronger, you know. So I felt like I had to have the weight of the world on my shoulders. I had to carry this big thing that I was doing. And, um, and it, it, it all became, and, and for what purpose? To help others achieve their goals, but feeling the responsibility of having to do that for them. You know, whereas, no, it's, it's them. You're there in support of them. Yep. So every effort that I was giving was taking away from myself to give to others. And having a little in in return, so um, so I think that you know this came to a point where I was starting to reprioritize and saying at that point I was traveling quite a bit around the world and, and uh, training corporate executives as well and being away from the home and my kids were starting to go to school and thinking or reprioritizing and saying 
okay, I, I got to do something that is really me, that resonates with me. And, um, and so that I started, I was at the top of that mountain, you know, starting to come down and say, okay, well, what, what is the next thing? And it's funny because, you know, some people have careers and they, they make a life of their career. These days, I think it's more, you know, we have, we climb one mountain than to see another mountain, to climb another mountain. So yeah. I'd already been kind of doing this. Um, you know, you talk about serial entrepreneurs or you talk about, you know, you go from one job to the next or just because there's always ways to grow and continue learning. And um, so I said, well, some of my athletes that I started training were starting to retire. So I started um, after my brother passed away, we did a charity golf tournament and we raised money for the hospice and we raised money for a youth athletic trust fund in the mm-hmm. municipality that we grew up in. And to give that uh, check or to, to do this thing that honored my brother and his, his life and to see everybody kind of celebrate and, and then to be able to turn around and, and do something good for other people uh, was extremely uplifting. One of the things that I started to do when I got my black belt was teach Taekwondo. And actually I got, um, there's a, before university, there's college or we call it CGEP. So I do CGEP. Then I got into university and it was exercise science where I can learn to be a kinesiologist and trainer and maybe a therapist or whatever and work in the sports and the health field. So the, the day that I got my paper saying you got accepted, I went to a gym and applied to be a trainer and they said, well, who are you? you? You haven't even got a degree. Like, what do you know? And I said, well, I've been doing Taekwondo. I'm a black belt. And, oh, they go, oh, that's interesting. Would you teach Taekwondo? I never thought of it before. And I said, yes, of course. I mean, I wanted a job. And then it dawned on me. So I, I, I started teaching Taekwondo. And I realized that I love teaching kids Taekwondo. And then I, so I've been teaching Taekwondo now for 30 years plus. Wow. And I teach three times a week recreationally. I teach a kid's class and I teach a, a teen adult class. And now the kids that I taught back then are now teaching the teen adult class or the adult class or the advanced class. And now I'm a student in that, in those classes. So I get to participate and keep doing Taekwondo, you know, in a healthy way and, and <laughs> keep doing, doing the thing that I love to do. Um, but the thing that I love to do the most in my life is, is being with kids, is mm-hmm. teaching kids. So I discovered that through Taekwondo and you know, if, if you look at my story and my path, being a young child, you know, and being hurt and having love and attention and helping me out. And then for me to be around young children and give them that space to grow and that space to explore and to let them be themselves. You know, Taekwondo is very disciplined and rigid, but not in my class. My class is about letting them, giving them a structure to advance, but at the same time, let them be themselves, you know, in the best version of themselves and be, you know, like my grandmother was with me, let me be me, but Mm -hmm. be there to support. So when I gave those checks to those 
um, organizations. And I saw the reactions and I had that feeling of creating this legacy moment for my brother. Things changed for me. I said, wow, I'm already doing this amazing thing with um, Taekwondo. And I've, I, I had taught thousands of children Taekwondo at that point. I'd teach in schools and I'd, people would come to me in a church that I, I rented. And um, we had this, these amazing, you know, times. And I said, yeah, this is, I, I want to kind of give back, you know, as a legacy to my brother, because he was great with kids and creative. And that's kind of how we grew up. So I want to give that back. And, um, and so started thinking about, well, how do I do that? And so I started doing kind of a nonprofit out of a community center, repurposed a gym that became a multifunctional activity space for children, teens, adults to train and do whatever uh, we would do to help them in their athletic goals or whatever it was. And um, one of my brother's uh, best friends growing up called me. He, he'd been living in uh, another city and he'd went to the funeral and he said, we've got to get together. And he moved back to Montreal and said, hey, let's get together. I want to hear about what you're doing. You're doing some nonprofit stuff. He's a lawyer and a business development guy. And he said, let's do this for Mark. You know, let's do this for, let's build something. I'm going to volunteer my time and help you scale something here because this is great. And we haven't looked back. It's been, you know, um, it's, so we took a model and then all of a sudden, I used all my entrepreneurial spirit and kind of fearlessness to say, okay, let's, let's do something here to make a real difference, a real impact. And not that all the other things weren't a real impact, but there was an opportunity to grow into a challenge that was attainable. We started with a pilot project in six schools, mm-hmm. you know, on a shoestring budget with 10% of my, my time, you know, the corner of the desk kind of project. Then it was like, wow, that went really well. And then we got lots of people uh, rallied around it, a school board, five schools, another school board with one school, French and English and teachers developing curriculum around the whole notion of physical literacy. We'll we'll get to that too. But um, it it was a blast. It was like a new breath of fresh air. And it resonated for the first time doing something that resonated with me that didn't have to do with any type of sublimation. It aligned perfectly with who I was as a person. And um, from my early experiences to today, to being a father, to being, you know, uh, kind of being a, a position of having received all this love and these experiences and, you know, sharpened my, my skills and my, you know, been a strong and the top of my game to now being able to do stuff for others, you know, and, um, and do that, not just part of the time recreationally three times a week, but do it all the time. So we went from six to 16 to 36 to 56 schools to 70, uh, 78 to a hundred to, uh, the Montreal Canadians children's foundation, which is the, the hockey team, the pro hockey team, the biggest brand in all of our province, you know, so think of like, uh, uh, 
you know, the, uh, the Chicago Bulls, you know, at the, oh. the top of their game, you know, like <laughs> calling you up and saying, Hey, we heard that you have this program. We'd like to come and see you. And then, then them saying, well, we really believe in you, you know, let's, uh, we'd like to invest in you to help you uh, grow this initiative. And then, you know, with other partners and stuff. And today we're, we're in over 400 uh, schools in our province alone, you know, and our province is about 8 million people. So it's not, you know, it's not New York or it's not, (laughs) Canada is like 38, 40 million people. The U S is 350 million people. So, and then we have two languages to deal with as well. So French, English, uh, doubling the work and, and all that stuff. So this became uh, quite a trip because now, as opposed to being a personal trainer or small group trainer, or athletic trainer, I had to learn to be an executive director of a foundation, uh, reporting on budgets, um, gathering a board of directors, having board meetings, collecting minutes, making sure that, you know, we abide by all the standards of running a very vigorous charity. Um, It's a process and you have to, you know, abide by that to keep your charitable status and, um, and, you know, just being true to all, you know, the, these are children. These are minors. It's, you have to be very responsible. You have to make sure you screen all your people and, you know, building a program, scaling the program, being able to send that out. And, uh, and so this has been a a huge trip. And to me, when I was training to be an athlete, I, you know, everything was going into this one thing to stand on that podium at the end of that one tournament at the end of the year, you know, so it was very, very hyper-focused. I think I'm spending 10 times more energy now than I did uh, when I was an athlete, which I could not believe. I could not believe that I could be as determined, as driven towards a, a goal. And uh, the learnings that I have, have had, but then to be able to multiply my um, passion and vision and, and have people rally around this objective now with a common goal to help children develop their physical literacy. And uh, yeah, so it, it's a real trip. It's, it's pretty amazing. I had a joke with you about the whole Chicago Bulls because I'm a St. Louis guy and we don't like Chicago teams. Sorry. So when you mention out of all it, I'm like, oh man, but we don't have a basketball team. So it's all good. So, but I just had to laugh. I go, he has all of these different cities and teams. He could, he probably could name and he picked the one that kind of matches with our rivals. And I just, I just laughed. Is us ever an opportunity? I mean, with. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not the U S and it's not Canada. It's children. Yeah. You know? So the opportunity are children, you know, and um, I'm, we're not building an organization that is going to conquer the world. Mm-hmm. You know, the challenges that we face as a society are humongous and they cannot be accomplished by one organization and one effort in one group. It needs to be a multi-sectoral 
a multidisciplinary approach to stopping childhood obesity, mm-hmm. okay, which is has been on the rise. COVID has not helped. Um, to helping children be the best version of themselves, to helping children thrive, honestly. So, and children have all kinds of challenges. They come from different demographics. You know, there's new immigrants, there's um, racial uh, sectors, you know, in different pockets and communities that have their own challenges, whether it's economic or social or there's girls versus boys, you know, and these days it, there's gender fluidity, you know, yep. less so for the young, young ones. I, we're more focused on four to eight years old, but you know, the, the world is changing so fast these days as well. Um, and I, I feel that the, as far as fast as the world can change for adults, it can't really change that fast for children, mm-hmm. you know? We're not going to plug in microchips to, into children's brains to make them the Serena Williams and the Michael Jordans. Sorry for the Chicago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? So yeah. if if we were sharks, we'd be born in, to feed. We'd have to feed ourselves immediately. We'd, yeah. we'd go out of the uh, the belly and we would or or we'd hatch and we would go and feed ourselves as sharks. We're not that we need to coddle. There's nursing. There is, you know, a long period of development and, you know, think of the gestational period, like life, life starts in the, in the, in the womb. And then it's a long time before a human can be autonomous. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, this, this challenge is uh, is a big one in in my view, and we need to be from a societal standpoint uh, responsible with who we are uh, or, or or what we do with our children. You know, it's a direct re- reflection of who we are as a people, and I, and it has nothing to do with U.S. or Canada or or anything. Um, and we want to live in a world that's safe. Yep. that allows everybody to thrive and flourish. So there's equality, but then there's equity. You know, you'll have people that start, you've seen that commercial where if you, uh, if your parents are divorced, you know, uh, if your parents are not divorced, step forward, you know, and yeah. if you're, if you earn this much, uh, step forward. I, I forget the, the analogy, but the people who, you know, literally have all these opportunities if your parents uh, completed university step forward okay now the race starts now and you know if you were in in none of those categories you're starting so far behind the pack and we say it's a genetic lottery yeah right it's you know if you're born in the slums of india you're born in the slums of india and your social mobility your your ability to move up and be prosperous is greatly reduced you know and we have hollywood movies or bollywood movies about uh those children that you know just make it skyrocket to the top and we feel good about ourselves but what about all the other ones that are left behind so we have a responsibility 
being coming from a good place to support people in these communities to help their children thrive because if their children are thriving they're going to thrive yep you know if if we support somebody then it's a reflection on us that we're doing well enough to help somebody else out and guess what you know all the studies say that when you do something good for somebody they're immediately getting a rush of endorphins because they feel good. The nice mm-hmm. act has been done and they get this rush of endorphins. But when you do something good and genuine for somebody else, you get the exact same rush of endorphins that they do. So imagine, you know, what do we do? Do we wait around for people to help us out and feel good about ourselves? Or do we go out there and help people to elevate them and then that just makes us feel that much more good. Yep. You know, not about ourselves, just that much more good. You know, and if we can all aim to go out there and do more good, period, then the, we will reap the rewards and the benefits of that. So in terms of my talent, my time, it's uh, I've had this bringing of love and this amazing experience in physical activity through sport and through movement that has allowed me to get through the challenges in my life to put me in a position to be able to give back fully and everything that I do in every way that I can that it fills my cup my cup is overflowing with appreciation and gratitude and the ability to do something, you know, not be stuck, not be waiting. Um, and and I, I have been stuck in my life. I have been down. I have been. And now with transparency, you know, I, I still have moments where I'm down, where things are low. But now I've got a team. I've got a family. I've got a, a network uh, around me that the train is still moving forward. The good work keeps getting done. And I might be low one day, but my partner or my teammates or, you know, the kids are looking up at me and they're saying, okay, it's time to play. And yes, it's time to play. So, you know, I, the only thing I wish is for everybody to be able to have that. And, and especially for children to have that to have that community, to have that opportunity to be the best that they can be. Has your kids gotten involved with Taekwondo? Have you tried to like bring it to them or have they found a different passion that you're still proud that they found? That's a, that's a great question because, um, so I'm very competitive with myself. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I like to be like very clear, like uh, to be, I'm not a ruthless competitor. Okay. So I'm not like that player from the sh- Chicago Bulls. You know? <laughs> uh, I, I, fantastic player, it, but everyone gets their gears going in different ways. So, um, so I always thought that I've got to be very careful to project that onto my children. Mm-hmm. So I always said that, I would love for them to get their black belts, you know, because I think that's a certain level of skill and competency that gives them confidence in themselves. And they can use that, you know, you, you go into a job interview and 
in your mind, you're wearing a black belt around your belt and you, you know, you've, you've done, you've already accomplished something, but uh, I know, and I've seen it time and time again with the athletes that I've trained, either the young athletes or the, the uh, children that I've taught or the children that I've worked with, that when someone is pushing them to do something, they're going to, they're going to drop out at one point or they're going to lose interest because it's not coming from them. So um, I was always very, very careful to not push them. You know, Um, there's a difference between a kind of a positive push, you know, versus like throw them in there. And, you know, so I waited for them to say, Hey, we want to go to Taekwondo because I would go, I'm going to Taekwondo now. And then, they would see me leave and I'd be gone for supper or whatever. And no joke, they were four and three years old. And my son goes, I want to go to Taekwondo. And my daughter goes, I want to go to Taekwondo. So I threw on a pair of jogging pants and a t-shirt and they came and they had fun. And then they stayed for like a week. And then I go, I'm going to Taekwondo. And I didn't hear anything anymore. Does anyone want to come with me? (laughs) And they go, no, we're good. We're watching uh, Teletubbies or whatever. And I'm like, okay, good. Then a year later, they they said, we want to go. It was fun. So I said, okay, great, come. So then they would come and I'd, I'd treat them like every other child during the class. And at the end of the class, I'd be, you know, there'd be dad moments and coach moments. And my goal is for everyone to have fun and everybody to feel included. So um, the really nice thing is they went to a pretty high level. Uh, my daughter, she went to just before black belt and then she got into dance. And then when she okay. got into dance, she already had this amazing coordination, great flexibility. She kind of like skyrocketed in dance and became very good, very fast. And it was with lots of girls and it was exactly what she wanted to do. Now she's 17 and with COVID it's been tough, but she's been, so she's, she competed. She's done some really nice competitions she went to Atlantic city. Sorry to rub it in. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> but, um, she, she loved it and now she's teaching. So that's fantastic. And then my son went to junior black belt, stuck around for about six months after his junior black belt. Cause it was kind of the, the peak of that summit. And now about a year and a half later, maybe two years later, he's asked me to come and help teach. So now he's teaching and he's kind of the spitting image of me up there, letting kids play and, and, and you know, enjoy themselves. And wow, it, it's such a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And, and on that, let me, let me explain when you do something for 30 years and you've been teaching children and now to have those children bring their children to your class and say, Hey, I had such a great experience. Can you teach my child the way you taught me? You know, these were great memories. Uh, I'm having children of children, you know, that I've taught. And then, you know, some children started, a boy and a girl, they were like seven years old. One started five, the other started seven. They started dating at 17. And then at the age of 24, they got married. So they met at Taekwondo. They got married at 24. They asked me to marry them, to officiate their wedding. Oh. You know, like how, how much of a blast is that? You know, and how how powerful is that to create a community in which it's it kind of 
continues to to fuel itself and to be inclusive of itself and then continue to renew itself. Now my students are teaching and my students are teaching me, you know, student becomes master, that kind of thing. Well, it's not that the student overtakes the master. It's that the master can now pull back and Mm -hmm. let the student, you know, we have these Hollywood images of these masters in the in the mountains, you know, and you go see them, but they've been secluded for, I'm always like, what happened to this guy that they'd have to be secluded and, you know, they're burnt out. Maybe they didn't need to go and rest for 10 years, you know? So for me, uh, someone like a, a Mahatma Gandhi, you know, he's, he's spinning his own clothes. He's making his food. He's uh, sorry. I, I don't know his whole history, but he's marching with the people. He's with the people, you know, he's not in a, like at the beginning, he was a lawyer. Have you seen the movie Gandhi? No. So it's a long, long movie. I'm just telling you right now, but it's <laughs> worth seeing to see the, the transformation of this in, individual from a young person who becomes a, a lawyer, you know, went to go study in, um, in uh, well, in London or, or in uh, England, comes back goes to South Africa. Now he's a professional lawyer. And then he sees injustice around him. And then he stands up to that injustice. Then he goes back home and he sees the injustice around him. And he says, well, I'm wearing all these suits and I'm, I've got to be with the people, you know? So to me, I've always felt like I'm with the people and my people are children, you know, and in a way, in a very um, still sublimative way, I'm helping children build their confidence in themselves to defend themselves in their lives, you know? So I never want one of the children to go through what I went through, you know, because clearly I was a target, you know, why, why did what happened to me happen to me, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and so there's a, one girl in my class, she was continually being um, sexually abused. And you see things when you teach, when you're, when you're with people, you see how they react. And we would talk about self-defense or do self-defense. And I'd see that she, so I, I approached her parents and I said, something's going on here. Can you have a, can you keep your eye on her? And then they found out that her babysitter's husband was sexually abusing her and other. So that all came out. They went to court that person went to jail for eight years you know and she you know she's been rebuilding herself she's second degree black belt she's uh you know she's had to well she's come through her own challenges you know and Mm -hmm. she's i'm so proud of that and to be part of that it's not me it's not me but it's that environment that community that accepting community that we've created that has allowed these participants to, to uh, rise up. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I would say that's my personal mission now is to be transparent, to allow people to be their true selves and to be the best that they can be um, through whatever they they want to accomplish but using my skills and talents 
I developed, so that program that we developed um, became a charity called Champions for Life Foundation. And the mission is to help children develop their physical literacy in their schools, communities, in their homes, so that they can be healthy and active for life. So physical literacy is the competence of moving. So moving well, and the knowledge that comes along with that. So what's the ball, what's up, what's down, uh, you know, how do you play together and all that. So the competence, the knowledge, the confidence that comes with that base of, of competence, and then the motivation to participate because you feel like you have the tools now to engage and play and that all being part of an active and healthy life. So I'm going to come back to the word literacy, which is we learn words. We learn to communicate. You know, we say mama, papa, fork, up, down. Now, the more vocabulary we go to school and we learn to compose phrases and we learn to, you know, the richer we are in our vocabulary, you know, there's a functional vocabulary where we just need to learn enough to function in the world. But imagine Shakespeare who can, you know, uh, or, or authors, you know, that write books like Harry Potter or, or whatever that can wield words in a way that can bring you and transport you into so many different places, whether it's technical knowledge or stories or so that's a way of self-expression through through literacy and through words that, you know, is to the best of, it's like an Olympic champion or world champion of writing, you know, yeah. it's so beautiful to see. And it's great that they have the capacity to do that. Well, on the other end, when you have a certain vocabulary, then you can listen to things, you can understand, you know, if we're talking about math and uh, astrophysics, and we relate, we understand, then our minds can go to, you know, supernovas and all those. That's very exciting, right? So literacy takes you to the ends of self-expression and interpretation, interpreting the world, expressing yourself in that world. So physical literacy to me is the same thing. How do we express ourselves physically in this world and interpret the world around us to move in that world? Now, whether you want to be a skater or basketball player, volleyball player, taekwondo person, or hike mountains or swim in a, a lake or surf in the ocean or whatever, it doesn't matter, you know, as long as that's a, a means of self-expression and being in the world and, and enjoying that moment, you know, and connecting with others. So physical education has three main uh, components in, in my province. And I think it's pretty much the same nationally. And I would, I would dare say that it's probably the same in the United States. I don't know the policies in the United, in the United States, um, but there's, there's three main things. The first is to teach people to move. Mm -hmm. So to teach them the skills and the knowledge. So that first component to be able to do it in multiple environments too. So some physical education programs have uh, swimming, you know, and surfing in the ocean. If you live in California, you know, probably some, some really cool phys ed teachers are taking you out surfing because you live right next to the ocean, right? Yeah. And in other places, you live in, uh, in Montana or in uh, where, it, Colorado, you're going to be hiking or skiing or, or doing. So the movement how to move and moving in certain environments. Then 
Secondly, it's how we move together. So how we move in a organized way. So we'll play a sport. Therefore, it requires maybe officials. It requires a certain level of organization. So if we're playing badminton and we want to learn how to do it, then we want to organize ourselves to have a friendly competition or a high-level competition. Then how do you make the trees and how do you organize yourself around the rules? What's accepted? You have got to train officials. You've got to, you know, so there's a lot of planning and organization that allows us to do all these things together. Then thirdly is the skills, the knowledge, and the social component of the sports has to result in an active and healthy lifestyle. So it's actually called physical and health education. You know, so there's classes where, yes, you can learn nutrition, you can learn, you know, but as children, generally, you learn about health and physical education together. Yeah. Sleeping well, uh, hydrating yourself, eating well, sportsmanship, you know, participation, all these, all these things. And the problem is, we tend to elevate people so, put them so high on a pedestal, the ones that perform so well, that we don't see ourselves like uh, those sport champions in our schools or in our communities or on the world stage podiums. So a lot of kids, when there's competition and elimination, you know, imagine being in the gym and we're going to play basketball now and you're in grade three. And of course, you're picking all the tall kids or the, the ones that, you know, play basketball outside in the, you know, in or soccer or whatever it is. Then you're the last kid picked. You know, that's the worst feeling in the world. Right. So you have all these elimination sports and activities that exclude people right from the start. Mm-hmm. So while education should be inclusive, should be uh, equitable, like if you if you're having trouble in math well what do you get you get help you get a tutor you know have you ever seen a tutor in physical education not really maybe an occupational therapist for a child that has a condition like dyspraxia like left and right brain don't communicate very well so there's motor coordination problems so between the legs and the arms and and the left and right don't move so it takes much longer for that child to develop uh, motor abilities, even language, even, you know, so different things. So children with disabilities, forget about it. Children with social problems at home, you know, if you're going home and you mentioned some pretty tough stuff, you know, like, and you have trouble building trust with an adult male, let's say, or, or whoever it might be. How are you going to be when you're starting to play sports, you know, where you have to deal with that alpha alpha male that's coming down the court on you or that you have to deal with that, you know, pressure coach, you know? So, however, these are opportunities for us to create so many meaningful moments for all these children. This is simulation for life because at the end of the day, we're in the, the Olympics right now and there's a Super Bowl coming up this weekend. And these are just games, you know, these are at the end of the day, yes, people are making money and there's careers out of this. And, but 
do we need to take ourselves that seriously that, you know, at the end of the day, it's really a game. And, and do we really want to put anybody else down? Like the world champion is going to be picked after this. So, but this world champion is nothing without that runner up. Yep. You know, is nothing like, well, okay. So you're world champion, you know, well, you're world champion today. And, but what are you next year? Like, it doesn't matter. It's all part of we're all part of each other's journey. So um, that's the mission of uh, our foundation is it, like finding ways to bring in physical literacy as part of the school community or a community's uh, DNA, let's say, to allow children to thrive through programs or either we um, uh, share information or resources with people who are on the ground doing things with with people so we have trainers or uh, call them leaders that go into the schools that have curriculum and do deliver a 20-week program or we have resources that we send to physical education teachers or teachers that do programs with children that in a very deliberate and um let's say designed way to help them improve their skills through challenges that are appropriate for them at their level and their, their age and the stage that they're at. And everybody in one group is all at a different stage, you know? So it's, it's an art. How do you keep yourself challenged when you've got a little girl who's seven years old, who's been doing gymnastics since she's three and you're saying, okay, kids balance. And there's another (laughs) child on the other side that has dyspraxia who started walking at the age of three forget you know forget doing gymnastics at three mm-hmm. you know what i mean so shouldn't those children have the right to play together in the in their community in their class you know so maybe this girl can help that boy yep and it, or maybe this girl can be challenged in a way to organize part of the activity you know or to so inspire the other children that are close to her level but not quite at her level you know and bring them up you know and she develops her leadership skills or you know like there i don't have all the answers there's organizations that do all kinds of amazing things that touch all these aspects uh of um of communities you know and lifting each other up so um I would say that that's my biggest challenge today is to be the best version of myself I can be as often uh, as I can be throughout my entire day. And um, so that's father, husband, you know, employer, friend, son, brother, you know, like all these roles that we have and uh, to, to bring forward the energy to um, be able to continue kind of thriving in those roles and empowering other people along the same lines, you know, so empowering my kids to be the best version of themselves, empowering our staff, our group, which I'm part of to move forward towards a, a common goal and objective, empower other organizations, brother and sister organizations to do good work and share resources and, you know, collaborate with and uh, use this as an example to inspire other organizations that might not be thinking the same way along the same lines. 
you know, and uh, aspire to be like the big organizations that are doing so well in what they do, you know, and uh, always have, you know, always stay humble uh, and, and do it from a place of gratitude as we're doing it. So I'd say that's my, (laughs) that's my overarching goal now. It's less narrow. It's less focused on one thing. And uh, before I had this, I wanted to, to climb that peak, that summit. I knew exactly where it was. Now I kind of have this overall, overall feeling of, uh, I don't know where it could potentially go, but I know that, you know, where there's somebody that can be helped. And if I can do that, then I will certainly do that. You know, I mentor people from all over the the world. (laughs) So on LinkedIn, um, I put on my profile, anybody who needs help, reach out to me, you know? So someone goes, Oh, uh, I, you know, and people are generally shy and they go, Oh, um, I've been thinking, uh, you know, you do this and what would you, so then we start conversations, you know, and we, so another, another thing that I truly believe is, you know, I tell my kids at Taekwondo every now and then, what is, uh, who's the best Taekwondo person here? And they go, you. And I go, well, not if I'm alone, right? If I'm alone, then what's the use of being good at all this stuff? Actually, I'm no good if I can't teach you to be good yourself. So it takes all of us to be good. So, you know, I started like you. Actually, I started much older than all of you. And you're going to be much better than me later on at those skills. But I'm nothing without you. And you're nothing without me in a Taekwondo sense, because that's what we're doing together. Mm -hmm. You know, so everybody has tremendous value. There's belts in Taekwondo like there is in other martial arts. So I tell a story about the belts. You get a white belt. When you, white represents light. So when you put light through a prism, it spreads out into a rainbow of colors. So white light is like infinite potential. Mm -hmm. It could be any color, right? So your starting point is, you know, this infinite potential. It's a innocence. Then the yellow belt is the next belt. And to me, that's like a seed. So a seed that has potential to grow into something. Then the next level, the seed starts to sprout. And then you have green, which is the stem or the the leaf or the the plant that's starting to to go. And then it's going up towards the sky, which is blue. So it's reaching towards something. This plant is growing. And then there's red. Red is a flower. So now that plant is maturing and it's starting to get to the peak of its existence. You know, it's starting to be mature and then what happens is that plant comes to the end of its life and it becomes black like the earth that then nourishes all the other seeds so it's this cycle it's a cycle that perpetually like recycles itself or it it perpetually gives back to itself and you can't have one without the other you can't have you know uh just 
um, you, you need to continually renew this cycle. So everyone, when they hear that story, they go, oh, that's so nice. You know, and then I go, what's a black belt? And the kids go, dirt, mud, you know, and I go, yeah, precisely. I'm just mud or dirt. And, um, and yeah, so that's my goal is, you know, to be in this place of being able to, to be uh, giving back. And, and also in certain areas of my life, I'm, I'm very much uh, a white belt, mm-hmm. you know, so exploring new avenues, new potential. Um, I started playing hockey a few years ago. You know, I started playing squash last year. I started, uh, you know, doing different different things, playing guitar a few years ago. You know, uh, every every moment in life has its new challenges, right? And if you're working within that zone of proximal development of, you know, things not being insurmountably hard, you know, or discouraging um, or too easy, too boring, you know, I think that rising to the challenge means well, what challenges are you are you looking at that can move you forward or or help you grow? The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? So I, I guess it's the spirit of the talk that we've had in, in that we see challenges outside of ourselves that we're trying to measure up in a way to other people's expectations sometimes when we're reaching those challenges. So I would say be careful of that trap. Be careful mm-hmm. of having to measure up to something that's outside of yourself. You know, so if there's a challenge that's outside of yourself and you've got to make the basketball team and this is the criteria. So that might be within your reach or it might be out of your reach. Right. So, so to, to be real with where you are. So it could take you two years to get there and that's fine. It could take you 10 years to get there. Like it took me. So as long as you know that you're continuing to move yourself forward, you know, Mm -hmm. and not one challenge can be done in isolation by yourself. So you're usually challenged by somebody or something that was put in place by somebody, right? Or the elements or whatever it is. So, you know, one pencil by itself is easy to break, you know, but 10 pencils are hard to break. So remember the the analogy of the, the, the cog and the wheel and you having these spokes that wheel won't roll or turn without all these elements. Yep. So, so aligning yourself with the people that, you know, are, are within your community that can help you. And then I think that a worthy challenge always ends with you being able to give back. You being in a position to, because of your journey, make the path for the others a little more clear, you know, um, a little more, not easy to attain because you don't want to make it easy for anybody, you know, because a challenge is just that, like 
because of gravity, our bodies are strong. If we were on the moon all the time, we'd come down and, you know, you need to exercise in space to keep those muscles strong. Because when you come back, you just be mush. Mm -hmm. So those challenges, they are essential to our being. So um, there's the analogy of climbing that mountain and being on the top of that, that mountain from which you can see many peaks that you can choose to climb. So again, making sure that that challenge is not somebody else's challenge that if you're climbing the mountain to say you're climbing a mountain, but you're climbing the wrong mountain, you get to the top and you're like, oh, I thought this was <laughs> here, but, but you're not there. I mean, you'll have trained yourself, you'll have gotten strong, you'll have learned a lot of things along the way, but, uh, you know, be, when you're older, mature, and you are, I think the, the ultimate for me is to be able to have these challenges and to be able to be in a position to help others, you know? So last thing is that when I'm teaching Taekwondo or working, doing a workshop and talking to people, I'm giving a hundred percent of myself and I, I hope that I'm engaging enough for the people to give 100% of themselves, of their attention or their questions or whatever. And if I feel that, generally when I'm teaching Taekwondo I, and I have assistants and the assistants in it and the kids are in it and they're laughing and they're cheering and they're yelling and they're having fun and the parents are on the side, they're like, oh, this is fun. I'm giving 100% of myself. These people are giving 100% of themselves I feel the energy of everybody coming back to me. So that, that saying that when you give something to somebody, they feel the benefit, the endorphins, but imagine you're giving to a lot of people, how much that fills you up. So I think that any worthy challenge in life brings you on a path where it strengthens you it uh, lines you with your purpose. And um, if you can give back at the end of that, or even during it, because there doesn't need to be a start and a finish to this. Um, and we're all part of this cycle of life and feeding each other in our uh, respective communities and our respective circles of influence. If we can help those that need it the most, um, the people who are hardest to love are the ones that need it the most. So our charity towards others comes because our cup is full. It doesn't come out of a sense of, you know, I'm going to give this person something that I don't need anymore. I have got too much of this. So I'm just going to give it away. And, oh, how good am I to give something away that I don't need anymore? No, no, no. That's not at all. You can give people hand-me-downs. Or you can give them a hand up and truly support them. And when you support them, then you've really done something with your life. You know, and you've really allowed them to be their best self, their best version of themselves. And given them purpose, not you, you haven't given them purpose, but allowed them to have their own challenges that they can rise up and meet. Well, David, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you very much, Alex. And uh, love to come back anytime. 
Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.